Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I'd like you to get your Bibles out, if you would, and some of you use electronic devices, I get that, so uh, get those out, and uh, if you're playing games, we have ushers uh, with telescopes on the back balcony that will check you out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but open to the book of Job and chapter 38, Job 38. We'll read the first seven verses in a few moments here. If we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, uh, and Adam and Eve have just eaten the fruit, they immediately become ashamed. They cover themselves up with their best efforts, which never works. We need God to cover our sins, amen? And, uh, and so uh, when God comes in the evening, as he always did, he would come in the cool of the day, the Bible said, and walk with them. He would talk with them in the garden there. And, uh, he will, and when God comes, they are hiding. And so God asks this question, and he, and he just simply asks them, where are you? Now, we must remember whenever we hear God ask a question in the Bible, it's not for lack of information, right? The omnipotent, meaning, uh, 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 excuse me, the omniscient God, knowing all things, is, uh, he's omnipotent too, by the way, he's all-powerful, but he's omniscient, he knows all things, and therefore he knew exactly where they were. So the question obviously is not, where are you geographically, where are you located, but the question to them is, do you know where you are? See, when God asks a question, it's not he lacks information, he wants to know if we know the answer when he's asking us. So bear that in mind as we go through this a bit. So, um, so uh, he asked this question, where are you? And that's the title of my message today. It's a good question to be asked, isn't it? Where are you? Where are you? Now, when we come now to the end of the book of Job, um, Job, if you are familiar with the story, uh, goes through a terrible trial, and the so-called friends come along, first three guys, and then a fourth comes along, and uh, they, the, they, they spend pretty much 30-something chapters, 30, uh, probably 36 or 7 chapters, um, saying a bunch of stuff, and for the most part, they're just saying stuff they don't really understand or know, and it's a very interesting part of Scripture to read because there is some truth in it, but there's also some stuff in there you go, they, they don't know what they're talking about. And to prove that, when it gets to uh, God starting to speak in, in chapter 38, God right off the bat is tired of all the drivel, of all the talk, and people trying to explain him when they have no clue what he's really all about. And so he begins to speak to this group of five men, including uh, Job, and uh, in verse 1 of chapter 38, he says, uh, says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? In other words, you guys have not got me figured out at all. You don't understand me one little bit. And then he continues and he says, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And at this point, God begins. He asks it, he's going to ask a slightly different question than the title of my message or what he asked to Adam and Eve in the garden. But before we can ask the question, where are you, or answer that question, we need to answer this question from God. And this is where, uh, where, where he says, where were you? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Uh, who marked off its dimensions? And God begins a series of rhetorical questions. It goes on for a couple of chapters, actually. Uh, all of it and, and anticipating the fact that, that you answer me if you know the answer to these things. And basically the answer it, it, you'll find is that they don't. But he continues, he goes, Who marked off its dimensions? Verse 5. Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And after God speaks for some time. Job finally speaks up uh, when God takes a breath, and uh, 
And, God, and in Job 40, verse 4, Job will say, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. You know, I, and, and, and that would have been a good place for all of him and his friends to start. If they'd have just started there in chapter 2, they would have been in much better shape. God, we don't know anything. Can you just fill us in on what is going on right now? And so, you, you know, you may be, uh, if you know the story of Job, you know he went through probably one of the most horrendous trials that uh, a human being could probably go through in so many different facets of his life. And some of you here today are going through things. You're going through hard times. You're going through difficulties in different areas of your life. And I'll tell you what, God has an answer for you today in the midst of that. I promise you that he does. And so we're going to tune into that. And so, so uh, today I really want to talk to you for a few moments about uh, uh, God's intentions in creating the entire universe and its implications for us and where we are spiritually. Okay, so the question is, where are you? Are you ready? Let's get into this. Let's pray. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that my words uh, alone would be just absolutely useless. I know that when I even speak the Scriptures, unless your Holy Spirit helps us to understand them and understand the teachings of the Word of God, that we will not get it. So above everything else that I pray in this moment, I pray that you will come by your Spirit and for each of our hearts, including my own, open us up, Lord God, to be receptive, to be open, to receive the planting of the Lord, of the Word of God as a seed in our hearts. It might not just be a seed that stays there dormant, but will be uh, watered and nurtured so that it might bring forth great fruit in our lives. Pray, uh, we pray this going forward in Jesus Christ's name. Amen? Amen. Now, you young people will never understand the struggle, but before cell phones, okay, I know, you can't even imagine. Was there ever a time? Yes, there was. But before cell phones, um, things were a bit different. And uh, be, being able to know right where somebody is most of the time at the touch of a button, although sometimes I try to call my wife and she's got her phone someplace else, it's on silent, it's in her purse, she doesn't get... Nobody can relate with that, I'm sure. And, and now we've gotten kind of irritated, haven't we? Because we expect people to just answer whenever we call them. They should be, you know, they, like this should be wired to their brain or something. But, but uh, so, so this is an amazing thing living in a time when we have these inventions that we can, at the touch of a button, we can get a hold of people. Although sometimes, honestly, the older generation doesn't get it. Um, and I might be one of those. But I read this story about a guy who left his cell phone in a, in a store. And the manager was give, given the phone. And uh, he starts scrolling through the numbers on the phone. He was able to open it up. He scrolled through the numbers. And he stopped at the one that said mom. And he figured that's the best person to call. She'll know how to get a hold of this guy and, and all that. So he, he calls mom and she answers. And uh, he says, uh, hey, uh, we found this phone in this store store uh, and we didn't know who else to call so we thought we'd let you know that and she said oh that's my son's phone and she says don't worry I'll take care of it well a few moments later that same cell phone rings and it says mom on it and the guy answers it and she and the lady on the other end says Martin you left your cell phone at the store <laughs> a little bit of a disconnect there right <laughs> So, but back in the days before cell phones, I know this is like transporting back in ancient history, but the procedure for finding another person in a grocery store that you'd become separated from was a very interesting proposition. It really was. How many, how many in my generation are younger maybe even still, but you know, you remember that this was not an easy thing. And it'd be, you know, many times Ron and I would go to the store together and she'd say, oh, I need some of this. And I'd say, I need some of this. And we're trying to expedite time. And so Boom, we'd go off in different directions. And then um, 
I would get what I wanted really fast, and then I'd go back to where she was supposed to be. And of course, she was wandering someplace else by now, looking for something else, and who knows. And so she wouldn't be where I thought she was. Now, you had two options at that point. You could either go to the front desk, grab the manager, and say, will you please page my wife, which you wouldn't do. Or, <laughs> or what you would more than likely do is start to go on a minesweeper search and destroy method, right? So you'd start off in the corner of the grocery store, way off in the corner over here, and, uh, and you'd start looking down every aisle. And, you know, places like uh, Safeway over in East Wenatchee, they're good because everything's in straight lines. But some of these stores like Fred Meyer and Target, I mean, they're like, got all this craziness going on. But you start in a corner, and you look down the aisle, you look down the aisle, you just keep looking this way, you look ahead, you look, you know, and you just keep minesweeper across the whole store. And you, uh, you know, if you were fortunate, uh, you would see your, your person you're looking for, and then you'd go to them. I don't know how many times, though, I would go the entire length of a store looking for my wife, and she would not be there. And I think she was purposely hiding from me. She'd, like, see me coming and hide behind the end of an aisle so she could shop more or something. I don't know, but... But anyway, uh, so that was kind of the way things had to be in those days. And uh, I read another story about a couple that were shopping just before Christmas, and the wife suddenly <clears throat> noticed her husband was missing. And uh, they had a lot to do, and so she, she called him on, their, on his cell phone. And she said, where are you? Where are you? And he, he, he said, she said, you know we have lots to do. He said, well, do you remember the jewelers we went to about 10 years ago, and you fell in love with that diamond necklace? I couldn't afford it at the time, and I said, one day I would get it for you. Little tears started to flow down her cheeks, and she got all choked up, and she said, yes, I do remember that shop. He says, well, I'm at the gun shop next door to that. <laughs> no, that is messed up. It's bad, bad. So, so, so the, 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 the cell phone has changed things. Nowadays, we get separated. I mash the button at the bottom of my phone. I say, call Rhonda. And, and then sometimes if her ringer's on, I'll actually hear it, you know, right behind me or somewhere in one aisle over or something. But if I don't, the first thing I always say to her is, where are you? Where are you? And she'll say, I'm over in the something. And I'll go, I don't know where that is, but we'll find each other. So keep, keep talking loud. Shout, do something. Scream. I'll come find you. Okay. We end up finding each other. But that's a great question, isn't it? Where are you? And it, it, obviously in the scripture, it's going deeper than physical location. And if I was to ask you right now and think it through, think it deeper, where are you? You know, if you're not thinking deep, you might say, well, I'm at church. I'm in Wenatchee. I'm in Washington State. I'm in the United States. I'm on planet Earth. And uh, we might answer that, we tend to answer that with a physical location. But again, God was not looking for physical location, was he? I'm going to show you, though, as we talk about physical location for a moment, this is about a two-minute video, um, but I want to give us some perspective of physically where we are, and then I'm going to tie all this together, I hope, for us. So this is a video, some of you may have seen it. It's a YouTube video I saw a couple of years ago, and they're going to bring it up, hopefully, right now. Yes. All right. Now, this is a perspective. You can see at the bottom the, the distances are being measured, and every time it changes, you're accelerating times 10. This is an exponential acceleration away from planet Earth. So, you know, uh, no, the center of the universe is not San Francisco, but that's where we're kind of at, uh, the south of San Francisco anyway, Silicon Valley. Anyway, then it goes further out. Just keep a perspective now. Think about you laying on a park in the middle of the planet, but... We're going further and further away, faster and faster as we go each layer. We're starting to see 
more of our own solar system, our own sun and things related to it. Furthest known man-made objects come into view that are, they weren't that big obviously, but they're moving away from our solar system. And then you get into this like cluster of uh, material that's just out there, comets and asteroids and all kinds of stuff kind of hanging around our sun. And before long, you start to see other stars kick in and you see uh, just clusters of stars beginning to group up. And, uh, but that's not much to it because that's still a very small spot because now we're looking at our entire galaxy, which is so huge. It's, it's amazing, 100,000 light years across it. But we go out further and we start to see other galaxies, some much, much larger than ours. It goes continuing further out until you begin to see it almost like a web. And, and to be honest with you, we're going to get out so far and nobody knows how far all this goes. Nobody knows. I mean, the known universe, as far as we know, there's no end to it. Now we're zooming back in very quickly, obviously. And it's just, it, it, it does nothing to help us, but maybe a little bit, to understand the vast distances we're talking about. But when we zoom back in, if you keep watching this video, which we're not going to do, uh, they would start to zoom in uh, into her eye and go into the eye, uh, cells and go into DNA and go into uh, individual atoms. And then even within atoms, the, the massive spaces within atoms, but they're so minuscule that, that, you know, it's just unbelievable. And it goes further and further until they get to something called subatomic particles. And what's interesting about this is physicists will say, okay, we think these are the smallest particles, but what are they made of? Do you understand what I'm saying? And for all we know, and this may blow our minds a little, you know, just if you don't, don't like this, just tell me later. But for all we know, there's an infinite amount of, of things that go that way too, in, into infiniteness and in smallness and infiniteness. And all this shows the glory of our God. All this shows the wonder of the incredible God that we serve and that we know. And in terms of the universe, you and I are smaller than the smallest speck of dust we could ever imagine. And on the grand scale of the universe, our little planet is completely insignificant compared to all the other things that are out there. Or is it? Or is it? Job, Job's, uh, God's question to Job looks to the past. It says, where were you when I did all that? Where, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? That's also a great question, isn't it? Where were you when all that took place? One that I believe every person should ask of themselves because it really does, it is a question that, that actually uh, every single person, whether they voice it or not, actually thinks about. Where did we come from? Where did it all start? What, what happened? How did this all come about? It, it really is the question of existence. How did everything that exists come into being? And, and listen, I'm just going to be clear. There's no explanation about the existence of the universe and all that there is that doesn't end up leaving you having to have some kind of faith. Okay? You, know, you can, you know, at some point you have to have faith in something out there. You can have faith in maybe time, and given enough time, maybe all this could happen. Well, that's faith. Faith in the unknown. Well, I don't know what it is, but there it is. 
in, in an evolutionary process. And by the way, we would believe that there might be microevolution, but not macroevolution. There's no evidence of change of complete different species. There really isn't in the, in the scale of things. There are some, some uh, species that have existed that have some qualities that seem to have both reptilian and bird, but that does not mean you can't find all the steps in between, and there should be countless steps in between to get to something like that. So, so don't let all that stuff that goes on in your public schools convince you that macroevolution takes place. Is there minute change between species? Yes. Uh, that kind of stuff does happen, and that's okay. But, so, so we're not, we're not uh, completely without understanding with these things. But you gather believe in time, the unknown, in evolution, in randomness, in, or in the universe itself, or maybe that there are multiple universes, and that, that makes it even more complicated, like what? Uh, multiple dimensions, and, and this is the stuff of science fiction tales. But without God, the explanation of how the universe came into being uh, will result in everyone having to believe in something they cannot prove. That, right? You can't prove it, you can't observe it, and you can't fully explain it. The choices other than an intelligent God who created everything with a purpose, it, it leaves you in, in places where you have even less proof than you do of a living God. It's obvious when you look at nature, and you look at there has to be intelligence behind the kinds of design that's out there. Does this make sense? Now, now so the truth is, when it comes to this whole idea of God, is he, is he really who he says he is? Is there a real God? Do you, do you know that in America, at least in America, and I think most of the world is probably falls along, if not more so, most people do believe in God. A recent Pew uh, research study said, do you believe in God? 80% said, yes, absolutely, I believe in God. 80% of Americans, 8 out of 10 people you work with, 8 out of 10 people you go to school with, 8 out of 10 people you meet on the street or go to a restaurant with, believe in God. Of those who say they don't believe in God per se, almost 10% of those would say, well, I believe in some higher power or, uh, or something else out there, but I wouldn't call it God. But, so you're up to now 90% that are open to the idea that there is something else out there that we don't see that has something to do with how we're all here. That's, that's a, that should encourage us, because we're thinking they don't want to know anything. But the truth is they're already open to it. They're already open to this kind of stuff. Now, the number of those who believe in the God described in our Bibles today might surprise you. It drops, but it's only at 56%. That's not bad. Over half the people in the United States believe in the God of the Bible. Do they believe everything in the Bible? Probably not. Are they all saved? No, I'm sure they're not. But there again, this indicates in our country a great openness to spiritual things. A great openness. Now the problem with the average person is they don't recognize their need for God. They don't understand that they're lost without Him, and they don't understand how important, listen to this sentence, they are to Him. Did you hear what I just said? People do not understand how important they are to Him. I would venture to say that many people in this room do not understand how important you are to God. See, because let's go back again now to the beginning of this universe. And the entire universe essentially is created in one verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the first verse, we already moved from the entire heavens, the universe being created, onto the earth. Okay? So in other words, all the matter that was needed to create uh, everything that exists was created by God within just that one verse. Now, the stars hadn't come together yet and all that, but everything that needed to be in, that will have anything to do with us was done. 
And then, so, so it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. He moves right on to the earth. So after the heavens, the universe mentioned, the earth comes into view. Essentially from that point on, no other explanation other than a few obscure passages like the one we talked about in Job today will, be, will deal with or try to explain why the universe or how the universe was created. So immediately the focus shifts now to planet earth. And then for about 22 verses in Genesis, we get a glimpse of the rest of creation, how, it, how things became more specific. You know, you have light and you have a planet and you have water and you have all these things down to the sixth day when animal life was formed and then eventually man is made. From that point on, from the time that God goes through all that to, to the point where he begins to create man, again, only 22 verses have taken place and God gets to the pinnacle, the apex, the very most important thing in all of creation. Are you ready? Drum roll, please, everybody. It's you. It's you. It's mankind. This was, this was the whole reason he did it all. That's the whole reason all those stars were created, all the galaxies, all the planets, every piece, every atom, every piece of an atom in this entire universe was created for one thing in mind, and that was for human beings. This is what the Bible teaches us. It, 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 even David in the Psalms is way back now, we're talking uh, 3,000 some odd years ago. David says these words. That's a fairly familiar passage, I think, but Psalm 8, 3 through 6. It, David is no doubt looking at the night sky and he says, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are people that you should think about them, mere mortals, that you should care for them? Great question, David. And then, then, the, then his response comes by the Spirit, I believe. He says, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, everything he made. He put in under our authority, putting all things under our authority. It suddenly it elevates how important you are, isn't it? Do you understand? God feels that way about you. So again, God's asking, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Well, obviously, I wasn't here, so I cannot speak to the why, the how, or the time and manner in which the universe is created. You, you know, uh, the definition of science is this. It says, the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the, of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Big, long explanation about the word science. But one thing I want you to notice, please go back to that if you would for a second. Notice the word observation at the end of that sentence there, near the end of that sentence. Observation. Isn't it fascinating that so many people set, uh, 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 speak so matter-of-factly about something that none of us, nobody has any, uh, is able to observe? They're trying to look so far back in time. They're trying to figure it all out. They look backward, further and further, trying to come up with answers of how it all came to be. They look at galaxies and stars and rocks and atoms. They look in every direction, and yet nobody can observe what happened whenever it happened. So it's not real science after all then, is it? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying there's not good and honest sciences in it, but it's just not. Now, with God, everything that exists was created in that one verse, and from his perspective, to be quite honest, it was no big deal. Like, like if you had a power meter for God, right, tapped out at 100%, and he created the universe, it wouldn't even budge. Because when you're saying omnipotent, you mean all-powerful, infinite power. So if you take... In, you know, you take any, 
any part of that infinite power and do something with it, how much power did you take away? Nothing. Because it's infinite. He's infinitely powerful. So, so there was no budge on the dial at all when God created, the, you know what I'm saying? It didn't even wiggle. It didn't even flicker at all. He just, it was no big deal to him. He was able to do it so easily, he would just spoke it into existence. God spends the rest of the entire Bible on mankind. Right? And how humans can have an eternal relationship with God. He spends the entire rest of the Bible is all a story about how we can be in relationship with the God who created all that stuff. It's outstanding. And Genesis doesn't purport to be a science manual, and people have misunderstood it as trying to describe, you know, in detail, scientifically how, you know, that's not, it, it really is actually more like poetry, and not to say it's not real or factual, but the, the style in which it's written is different than that. And it's important to understand that. However, I want to make a statement, and I, I believe this with my whole heart, and I think, you know, we would do well to get this and understand this, that wherever science will be based in true fact, and true observation that things we can truly observe, it will never disagree with the Word of God. It will never disagree with the Word of God. And if you think that there's a disagreement, then, then there, there's probably a misunderstanding. Of, and, and I'm willing to admit that in, I remember my Aunt Mary was a preacher, and she, she had misunderstood a portion of Scripture. And in 1968, she, she, because of a, a verse of Bible, uh, Scripture that she had misunderstood, she made a bold proclamation from the pulpit and said, man will never set foot on the moon. Now, I hope you're not one of those that believes we have it. No, stop it. Stop it. Do not go there, conspiracy theorists. No. But she, after they landed on the moon, she had to get up and realize, no, I misunderstood it. So sometimes there's misunderstandings and we're misinterpreting things, but there won't be, if you have a proper understanding and interpretation of Scripture, there will never be a disagreement between the Scripture and true, real science. Not conjecture, but true science. Trust in that. Believe it. Especially young people going to school. Just, and I don't mean argue with your teachers about things. That's not what I'm saying. Just listen to what they have to say and just say, yeah, yeah, that's great. But where were you when God laid the foundation? You know, just think about that. So the days of creation, 1 through 6, are mentioned really only in Genesis 1 to show us how God set up the planet for, get this, us. Right? Made it so it would be inhabitable by us, that we would be able to enjoy this. And, and, and it's like the whole creation of the universe and the earth gets only a passing mention from God in the first chapter of the book. And then all of a sudden he says, well, let's get on with the really important stuff from this point on. Once he gets into man. And this is, this is, uh, this is so important to see. Isaiah gets this. He, he writes about this uh, in Isaiah 45. He says, for this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I'm the Lord. There is no other. Why did he do it? Why did he form the earth? Why did he form the universe? That it would be inhabited. That's about us. That's what he did. Every single day of creation was designed to prepare a place where human beings could live and experience the goodness of God. Every, every day as he made light, the sky, the seas, the, the land, the sun, the moon, the stars, plants and trees, fish and birds, all the animals, all of this was done with you in mind. And God's pronouncement each day as he created things, he says, oh, that's good. That is so good. 
That's good. That's good. He gets to day six. He's created all the animals. That's good. And then he creates man. He says, that's very good. He adds a word to that. It's very good. That's, it's almost like you feel this kind of relief with God. That's what I was after. That's what, does this blow your mind? Are you at all like freaked out by this and thinking, that's amazing. But that's how God feels about you. God is good. He views you as very good. Now, I'm not saying all that we do is good. We all do bad stuff. We do wrong things. But you, God says, is good. And you are who he's interested in. And if you're tempted to think that God is not good, think again. Because not only did he make us very good, but he himself is good. And if you think that God has done evil things to you in your life, think again. You've not understood the trueness of God. This is Job's problem. This is why God had to kind of come in and step into a situation. You don't understand, Job. You know, you're saying things about me that aren't true, and so are your friends. More his friends than he, but he even, even Job didn't get it right. Do you know, I, I, you can disagree with me if you like, but in the beginning of Job, and we used to sing a song all the time, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? And then they say, what's the next part? It, the, the little bridge part. It goes, you give and take away. And what do we think? Oh, God takes away our wives. God, or, oh, no, she stayed. That's right. Excuse me. God takes away my children. God takes away my property. God takes away my land. God takes away my health. Right? And we think, oh, yeah, boy, that's, that's God. God says, who is this that obscures my counsel? Brace yourself like a man. I'm going to talk to you about something right now. And I'm going to tell you about my goodness. Listen to me. He does not take away your health. He does not take away your children. He does not take away your finances. He does not take away things that are dear to you. That is not God's business. He comes to give life and life everlasting. It's the enemy who comes to what? Steal and kill and destroy. If you've got death in your life, if you've got things being taken from you, if you've got things being destroyed in your life, that's an enemy who's after you. God came to bring life and life to the full. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding in this, but trust in Him completely. Don't let other people's negative views of God become yours. He is good and He is very good. If you're tempted to think that God doesn't care about you or the things you're facing in life, think again because everything, everything you see in creation is a testimony of God's love and care for you. You look up at the night sky, you look at the, the snow on the mountains, you look at even the fog in the air, you, every, everything God created is a testimony of how much He loves you, how much He cares, how much everything that you see was made with you in mind. God loves you and me, and He is good. And whatever He does is good. Does that mean that everything that happens on planet Earth is, is somehow good? No, of course not. We know the difference between the, what is good and bad. We're not trying to redefine good here. We're saying, we're saying you know, uh, that, that there is goodness in God. Simply watching the evening news will prove that a lot of what happens on this planet is not good. Amen? In fact, I have found that the evening news, and I mostly read the news uh, off my iPad. I'll read in the morning every day the news. And I have found that most of what's out there is bad news. I mean, I, I try to stay informed, but I'm like, I feel like I just fell in a mud puddle after I read the news. Just, ah, you know? But what, what God gave us was good news. There's all that bad news. How many think that there's a lot of people out there ready to hear some good news? The good news of Jesus Christ. 
The things that are wrong in this world in our lives are not acts of God. Listen, the insurance company says, oh, that tornado, that's an act of God. We don't cover that. No, that's misunderstanding God again. You've got that wrong. That's not God. That's not what He did. Why would He create this entire universe and put us in it just to start tearing us up and being mean? That's a misunderstanding. He's a good, good Father. He's a good Father. So God's plan, His purposes, His nature, every single thing about Him is good. And, and what He did was He stepped into the middle of the mess and came to fix it by bringing His Son, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. That's what God's about. That's what He's after. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on back up. Well, I mentioned it earlier, Rooted begins tonight. This is the first week, and we're going to explore this very topic, this idea of who is God and what's the connection between God's creation and us and all that. That's what we're going to be exploring in this next week together, starting tonight. And throughout uh, thousands of years, we humans have made quite a mess of things, haven't we? Uh, Through our selfishness, we've invented ways to destroy and devalue people on this planet, but praise God, He is not finished with us. He's still got stuff He wants to do. And at the end of the book of of the Bible, John speaks about God's incredible plan at restoration. One more verse I'd like to show you from Revelation 21. I love this, because just as easy as it was for God to create the first heaven and the first earth, it's like you start with, in the book of Genesis, with a, you know, and, and God created the heavens and the earth. And you get to the end of the book, and what's God doing? He's creating a brand new heavens and a brand new earth. It's like it's, 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 it's come full circle now. And, and this is why, from John's perspective in this vision that God is giving him, he's almost at the end of the explanation of this vision. In chapter 21, verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Some people believe that the, the universe or the earth will be... Um, Uh, baptized in fire, so to speak, that it'll be purged and cleansed and remade in this existing. My personal belief is, is, because I think we limit God in that, just as easily as God created the first heavens and the first earth without moving that dial, I think everything that exists is going to not exist anymore. It's all going to... Peter says that the elements uh, burned up and just completely went... It's like they were completely destroyed. Everything was gone. That's what Peter says in his book. And then all of a sudden you see God says here in Revelation, but there's a new heaven and a new earth. Just as easy it was for him to create the first one, I believe he's going to create a brand new heavens, a brand new earth. And the reason I think that is because this current universe and this current earth has been tainted by the presence of Satan. But once he's cast into the lake of fire forever and ever, then, then every place he's ever touched or any place he's ever been will cease to exist, and God will create a brand new one that won't be touched at all by anything of evil. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're going to live in the goodness of God forever. So the verse goes on as John is looking and he sees, he says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Can I just tell you that, that, that he's seeing a city, but do you understand that the Bible says also we are living stones? Okay, the city was built of stones. And he says, you are living stones, beautifully dressed as a bride for her husband. That there's some connection between the city that he's describing and us redeemed people who are with God forever. I, I can't explain it all, but I'm just saying there's something going on there. And he continues in verse 3, he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look. 
<laughs> this is what it's been all. This is God saying, this is what I've been after from the very beginning. This is all what it's about. This is everything you've gone through. This was it. He says, God's dwelling place is now among his people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe, oh, thank God. Aren't you thankful for this verse? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And I think you could just keep going with that list, you know, war or violence, bad temper, you know, all the stuff that's just out there, the bad news, none of that, no more bad news. For the old order of things, the old order is completely passed away. Hallelujah. Now, in the meantime, you and I may have made a little mess of our lives. I get that. But the same God who will create a new heaven and a new earth will create in you a clean heart and a fresh start. And He'll do it today if you'll just invite Him. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. Oh, hallelujah. We're going to have a great life together. So my question today as I started is the same. Where are you? Where are you at? Let me tell you in case you don't really know the answer yet. You're at the exact center of God's plan. You're at the exact center of God's heart. You're at the center of a vast universe uh, that, that the omnipotent creator made so that you could be in relationship with him. That's where you are. And although, although these things are true, we must allow ourselves to answer the real question that God is answering, asking us. Not, not those things, but going a little bit deeper as He did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Where are you spiritually today? Where are you in your relationship with God? And then, then but we've got to take it one step further, and I'm really landing this plane, I promise, right now. But God also stresses the importance of our relationships with each other. Do you know that? Like, like, do you understand that, that, that he, and you'll see this repeatedly in the Scripture, there's actually a connection between how we feel about our brothers and sisters and how we actually feel about God. Because he says, you can't say you don't love your brother or sister, but you love me. That, that's incoherent in God's mind. He, he just said, that's incongruous. It just doesn't make sense to God. How can you say that? How can you say you love God, but you hate others? And so God isn't satisfied with just saying, yeah, let's just have this vertical thing going and, and just we'll, we'll be good and you'll be good and I'll be good with you and everything's fine. And, and we're going, okay, thanks, God. And he, no, he won't stop there. He said, oh, wait, wait, wait. You got a problem with your brother or your sister? You got a problem with some family? You got a problem with your wife or your husband if you're married, right? You got a problem with your parents? Oh, you need to take care of those relationships. Where are you in those relationships too, God is saying today? Where are you? Where are you in relation to your natural family? Where are you in relationship with your church family? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.